have uh, all our kindergarten, that would be kindergarten through fifth grade, come this direction. And this is that Sunday. I know our preschoolers have been here. If you're a preschooler or a mother, father, a preschooler, they will now make their way back there. It looks like Bridget is back there to re- receive all those who are three, four, and five-year-olds. And so this is our first Sunday to send them. I am so thankful that these kids have the opportunity to worship with us. I'm glad that we don't pack them off someplace else. But they are watching you, sitting with you, as you lift your voice and, and as we pray. And we have that opportunity to do that together. Amen? So, so I'm so glad. You're not a sixth. Oh, fifth, oh, yeah, okay, you're helping. <laughs> Appreciate you, Ethan. It's a good man. Uh, that, that's another thing, all the, all the folks who help in this, I, I appreciate so much the teachers, the leaders who are going to be going with them and, and take that opportunity to teach them in this, uh, uh, this time that, that we're opening scriptures and, and thinking it through. Uh, we've been walking through, across my heart, walking through each of those significant promises in the Old Testament Oh, there's many pro- promises in the Old Testament. I will say that. There are some significant promises that, that I've been preaching through here most recently. And uh, uh, one, of the, one of the things that's beneficial to us, or has been beneficial to us, we've had that opportunity to walk through the Old Testament. Uh, we've, we've done this before. I think it was called The Story and we went from Genesis through Revelation, so we understand the thread from beginning to end of what God is doing. Uh, we've, we just did it again, so those of you who are becoming more familiar with the Old Testament, you've been able to follow a little closer with history defined by those promises that God has laid out. Uh, and, and what's significant behind that is we look into the Old Testament, we read through the Old Testament, all these promises that God is laying out, and He is directing history. Now, now, mind you, there, there are times it just looks like chaos in the Old Testament. It just looks like everything's out of control. But we know, as we read, that God is in control. A prophet comes, uh, messages are given, direction, even captivity, everything. God is in control. And, and the encouragement behind that for us, you and I today, to be able to see that taking place in the Old Testament, we know that, that today it's not out of God's control. Because we look in the world and we think, man, look at the chaos. Look, look at the absolute disregard for God. And, and, so, and somehow, I don't want you to ever think that it's beyond God's control because it's never been out of his control. It is completely in his control, and he continues to direct history to his final conclusion. Woo! That's, that's, that's just a good part of this. We're going to look at this final covenant, and the covenant so happens to be the covenant that we're a part of. So I'm excited about today. Uh, we've been stepping through, and in, in your uh, outlines there, and what's going to be up here is just a re- quick review of where we've been through those covenants. The first covenant that we looked at was God promised to never destroy humanity by flood again. That was that promise to Noah. 
because of the wickedness of humanity brought on the flood. And, and the key thing that we brought up is, hey, sinfulness continues. That the, the, the sinful nature in humanity is just going to continue to work and, and thrive in this world. So the question that, that's raised to us is, how is a holy God going to continue to deal with an unholy creation, humanity? How is he going to deal with that? And the answer starts coming through all the promises that God lays out from that point on. It begins with Abraham saying, I'm going to make into you a great nation. I'm going to multiply uh, your offspring, and they're going to be numerous, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And, and a key, key phrase in there is this. He said, I'm going to multiply you and, and make you a, into a great nation, and, and through you all nations are going to be blessed. Then we come to uh, a little bit later when, when through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that promise continued. Then we enter that time where, uh, where the promise is then given to Israel. It was after their captivity. God, through Moses, leads uh, this nation out of Egypt. Now they've become a nation now. Some guess around oh, over 2 million people who then made their way to Mount Sinai where Moses or God, through Moses, then establishes that covenant with them. And that covenant, to, to simply put it, here's what he plans to do. Here's what he wants to fulfill in this nation. I, uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. You see, it was all about bringing this broken and sinful humanity into a relationship with him. That would make them a separate people, a holy people, a people just for God. That was his plan. That was his intent. And with that covenant came the expectations of obedience to his law. So it was a covenant that was established in the laws that were set down by Moses or through Moses. The next covenant we see is actually some years later and came through King David. That, that one king who had defined by God a heart for him, a heart for God. That was David. He loved God. And, and it wasn't about him being king. David was one with humble understanding that it is God who rules. And so God spoke to David and made, gave out this promise. The promise is this. Your throne will be forever. Uh, I'm going to establish your throne forever. So how, how are all these promises going to be fulfilled? And, and we know the answer in the New Testament. We, we, Matthew through Revelation uh, there, there are so many different places I could have chosen this morning to go so we could talk about the, the new covenant that we are in, what God had designed and planned. The answer is in that New Testament. Uh, and and I, I, like I said, I could have gone to any, any of the, the uh, uh, New Testament, parts of the New Testament, but I chose the book of Hebrews. So th this morning I'm going to read the passage out of Hebrews chapter 8, beginning verse 6 through 13. Now that's just a small, I, I, it was very difficult to choose where I was going to be this morning. We, we could have started at chapter 1 and ended at 13 of Hebrews and, 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 and grasped how significant, how absolutely wonderful the covenant that we now have. Because that's kind of the theme of Hebrews. But instead, because of time, here's Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 through uh, 13, the end of the chapter. Prior to this and leading up to this, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is speaking, 
concerning or is, is addressing the fact of the, the priest, the earthly priest that had that great responsibility. We'll talk a little bit about them uh, later. But now under this new covenant, there is a new mediator. Here it is, verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs. Theirs referring to those priests. As the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Just just stop and say, this. the Hebrews writer is quoting Jeremiah. He's speaking about the covenant the people were once in and looking forward to the covenant that was coming. So let me continue on. Verse 9. It will not be like the covenant I made with, with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Well, let me ask you, after reading that, do you know the final answer to all of God's promises in the, in the Old Testament, those that we've gone through? Are, are you familiar with the answer? Okay. We, we have one thought, and that's, do you know? Do you know who the answer is? I said who. <laughs> is that a clue? Say it if you know who it is. Jesus. Oh, man, I knew, I knew you were all over this. Uh, but here's the truth. Here's what we see in the New Testament. Declared clearly before us the final answer to all of God's covenant promises is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ amen Uh, simple let's go home huh Uh, it really is the truth and and I do want to take a little bit of time and and walk through uh, and I'll make it as brief as possible uh, but, but if you just understand this message, man, all those wonderful promises that's established in the Old Testament, they are fulfilled or being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in this book of Hebrews. Let, let's step through those promises just real quickly. First of all, to David, it was, he was going to establish his throne forever. And matter of fact, last week we already answered this. How is it going to be established forever? Well, we know Jesus came as king. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy, which is significant because that genealogy reveals not only did he come from that nation of of Israel where God said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to create in you a nation, and through that nation, all nations are going to be blessed. That's fulfilled in Jesus. But he also said, that genealogy also shows how 
through that line, that royal line of David, Jesus has come. And guess who's the rightful heir to the throne? Jesus, because of the line of David, where that promise was established. I find it unique that in that story, that Christmas story, that it's Gentiles who come, wise men who come and, and announce. He said, hey, where's, where's the son of God? Or, or where's, the, 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 oh, excuse me, where's the newborn king? They were looking for that royalty that was born. And, and then at his death, it was a Gentile that make this, made this great declaration. Here's why he's being crucified. King of the Jews. Pilate. He did it kind of spitefully and because of those uh, religious leaders, but it was the truth, king of the Jews. Now, how is it going to be established eternally? And we understand and know that in his resurrection, the king is alive, and the king is established forever. Once he ascended, the scripture makes it very clear that he is now seated at the right hand of God. So, so that, that, first, uh, uh, that first promise, the, the, the one of eternal throne, has, has been fulfilled in Jesus. What is more important is how is God going to fulfill the covenant that says, you will be my people, I will be your God and you will be my people. There is going to be an intimate relationship that he's promised right there. I am your God, you are my people. Oh, we're part of that in this new covenant. And this book of Hebrews reveals that. One of the things that, that this book reveals is that Jesus is a high priest. He is the great high priest. He, he is the perfect priest. And let me, let me just kind of uh, step back and think, well, what they had in, in the old covenant was, was all the laws and, and a means for forgiveness. And, and how important were those priests that were established? You see, those priests were mediators between God and themselves. And it was through the rituals, it was through the sacrifices, through that, those acts that the people received forgiveness and continued in relationship with God. But it was, it was kind of failed. Or, or it wasn't perfect by any means. Guess why? Because those priests, those priests, they themselves were sinful. <laughs> They were sinful. They themselves needed to have sacrifices committed on their behalves to receive forgiveness in order for them to turn around and then uh, perform those sacrifices on behalf of the nation, on behalf of individuals as they brought their sacrifices. It was flawed. It wasn't perfect. Matter of fact, we could even see a clear perspective of that in the temple that was built uh, matter of fact, verse 5 says, which we did not read, the first part of verse 5 says, um, uh, they serve in a sanctuary that is only a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. The temple that was built, oh man, they were thrilled about the temple. Tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and then it became a, a temple. It, it represented the throne room of God, the presence of God. Now, there was certain sections in there for different rituals, but boy, the Holy of Holies, that's where the Ark of the Covenant, also known as the Mercy Seat, was placed. And that's where that priest, at least once a year, would enter in uh, to, uh, to, to bring forth the sacrifice and, and uh, bring forth forgiveness for the whole nation of Israel, once a year. And... and uh, uh, that was flawed because that temple was only a shadow 
or a copy of, of the reality of, of God's throne room, which is, doesn't exist on this, in this world. But the priest that Jesus is, you see, he is that perfect priest. Perfect priest by, by this fact. Jesus doesn't have to have any sacrifices committed on his behalf because he is sinless. He came into this world and he lived a right life before God, pleasing before God. He didn't need any sacrifices committed on his behalf. He was able to enter into God's presence. And he entered into, and you know, after his, his own death, he entered into that, that place of, of to, to be seated at the right hand of God, to be a mediator on our behalf. You see the difference? One here in this world, in the old covenant, and in the covenant that we now exist in, the mediator on our behalf is seated at the right hand of God. Not once a year, all the time. All the time. And the second part of that that's so significant is that Jesus, as that high priest, gave the perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. I mean, they committed all kinds of animals uh, on behalf of sinfulness, but Jesus offered himself. Because he was seen as that unblemished land, because he was perfect. He was sinless. In Hebrews 9:12, uh, the, the writer says, Hebrew, I mean, excuse me, Jesus did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Now I said in his perfection he, he was able to enter in. But when he does it on your behalf. When he entered in on your behalf, it required his own blood so that he could be that representative for you and I, for Becky. And, and, And that constant representation that says they are righteous. They bear the righteousness, that we had that opportunity to bear the righteousness of Jesus. It is through his blood that we have received our forgiveness. It is through that blood that this whole covenant has begun. Matthew 26, 28, as Jesus was establishing this meal of remembrance, he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Don't forget that. This represents the covenant that you and I are a part of that is through that blood of Jesus. That says today, that covenant again says that he is our God and we are his people. You, you can throw an amen anytime I say that phrase, okay? In all seriousness, that is a, a hardcore amen every time. He is our God, we are his people. Because we don't attain that without Jesus. We don't come into that relationship without Jesus. We can't do it. As Becky was thinking, boy, i got to get everything right. i got to straighten so I could, I could walk. No. We're never going to attain that place. It requires that perfect sacrifice. It requires the blood of Jesus for us to enter in. We have no relationship unless it's through Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. You're there. You're there. Uh, here, here's the significance of this passage, and then I'm done. Here's the significance of this passage. It comes in the second part of what Jeremiah said. Uh, again, here's what Jeremiah said. In the Old Covenant, 
ultimately, in, in the last part of verse 9, he says, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. They failed. That covenant was established in the law. And the law, the law didn't fail. The people failed. They continued to fail to follow in obedience to that law. Therefore, you know, that, that law that was, that was perfect in every way couldn't be fulfilled because of our continued disobedience. It's, it, and really, it's, it's all about being exterior. You know, the words that are laid out, hey, do this. You know, follow this. And live your life in this direction. Do this, don't do that. And it was all about that. And if you did that well, then you were God's people. That's not the covenant we live in. Here's, here's the covenant. It's laid out in verse 10. I want you to embrace and understand this is what it's saying that we have today in Jesus. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and they will know me. I, I want you to hear and listen. to. He's going to place it. It's not exterior. It's not words on a tablet anymore. It's words that exist here and here, written upon our hearts, written upon our minds. How does that happen? Uh, the descriptions in the New Testament, uh, in one thing, in Jesus Christ, it identifies clearly that that circumcision, that what was required, which was a phys- outside physical operation, cutting away, is now one through Jesus that is called a circumcision of the heart. A circumcision of the heart. Within us, there is a new heart and a new spirit is promised that we're given. This is, this is not what the people of the old covenant had. They didn't have this at all. Being given the promise of transformation, of being changed. It's not, okay, change your life, because that's not going to happen. That failed. You know, change your life by following these laws didn't work. Instead, God's activity through Jesus is to be an interior work. It's going to be interior work where our hearts are circumcised, changed. I, I believe in the flesh. Matter of fact, here, let me read uh, Romans, uh, something that Paul ha- had said. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. He said, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. We need that spirit. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You see, this is is the life that we live apart from Jesus. The the lives being lived without Jesus is is that life of flesh. And and is it drawn to the word? No. Is it drawn to following after God? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, it even says that life is absolutely hostile to anything about God. But a life that has been turned and, and receives Jesus is a mind that is no longer hostile, rebellious before God. It's a life that is open to his continued work. You see, perfection didn't happen in Becky today. We talked about that. She got it kind of backwards, right? I'm thinking, well, I'm going to fix everything. No, no, no. Jesus fixes everything. Yeah, isn't that right? If you're in Jesus today, you're not a finished product. I'm sorry for those of you who thought you were. There's some work to be done. There's work to be done here. It's continuous. I love it. I, I love it and growing in, in his word more and more. The spirit that's working in us, 
Man, it's his words that we open and read. And oh, he needs our attention. And as we read his word and we take it in, guess what? It, it, it strengthens the spirit within us. And it continues, and I believe that's, why, why in the world would I say, hey, read this? Uh, you don't come Sunday so I could read it to you. Yeah, I want you to go home and read this. I appreciate uh, uh, Richard this morning when I was talking to him as, as we were waiting for services to begin. He said he likes to come in and he likes to read the passage before. It just helps him in understanding. Woo! I love Richard. <laughs> And, and there are those times that, boy, if I know the passage of Scripture that we're going to read, I'll lay it out for you. So take it home and read it. Matter of fact, my challenge to you is read the book of Hebrews. You want to see what's superior, how wonderful Jesus is? Read Hebrews. It, that's, that's what it's written for. He says, man, this is what you had, and oh, wow, this is what you have today in Jesus. Don't miss that. Listen, here, here's the new the, the new covenant we're, we, we are living in today, we have an eternal king. Amen. Okay. We, we have a perfect priest seated at the right hand of God who is given the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Amen. That's an amen. Amen. And this covenant that we have, don't forget this, is internalized. It's, it's within us. It's working. It's, it's growing. It's changing. That's why Paul says... Hey, listen, walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Uh, you know, put away the things that you used to be involved in. Put away the things of the world and pursue the things that, that are, reflect godliness and, and, and you know, focus your attention upon His Word because that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to grow and, and, and continue to allow that Spirit to work within you. Amen? I want to conclude this way. Uh, since we began early in Genesis, I, I want to go to Revelation because here is the great conclusion to it all. Listen to the words. It's going to be familiar to you. This is what uh, John saw in the conclusion of all things. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy sea, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The church, the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his God, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's fulfillment. That's fulfillment. That's when it all comes together. See, it's not completed today. That covenant promise but it's going to be completed in that day when Jesus returns. It's completed in you if Jesus is your Savior. It's completed and you are ready for that. But when Jesus comes on that day, we'll realize that all that God has promised has come together to its great conclusion. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for your word always that helps us to understand. Lord, I know the, the depths uh, and, and the reaches that we went through this morning, uh, boy, there's a lot to, to chew on. And so, Father, I pray that in our minds, in our hearts, uh, that you will continue to help us to understand the significance of Jesus. Oh, Lord, even to grasp how high and wide and deep is that love of Christ that's there for us. Lord, that's our pursuit and that, Lord, is a part of our growing. 
Help us, Lord, to reflect you. As, as the children of Israel in the Old Testament had that opportunity and failed, Lord, we had that opportunity, but we know we could succeed because of what you are doing in our lives. We're changing our hearts, uh, working through your Spirit, in order, Lord, that, that others will come to know you and the world around us will know that you are the one and only God who deserves our praise. Father, strengthen us in our praise by continuing that work in our hearts and lives. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.